series on thinking hard about certain things. I want to welcome every single one of you here this morning to Big Woods Bible Church. We've already been blessed just in our time of worship together. I want you to think about this day and the events that took place on this day, Palm Sunday, the day that the Lord Jesus Christ rode into Jerusalem to conclude his final week in ministry. We refer to this as Passion Week. We know as Jesus rode in on that lowly donkey, people literally took off their coats and put branches on the ground, palm branches crying out, Hosanna, Hosanna to the King, King Jesus. I trust that Jesus is your King. Let me encourage you and invite you as well this week with the busyness and preparation of celebration of Easter to go very slow. In your homes, I would encourage you to read the events that occurred throughout Passion Week. The events of Thursday evening as Jesus was celebrating, commemorating the Last Supper. As he was praying in the Garden of Gethsemane. As he was betrayed and arrested Friday as he was crucified for your sins and my sins. And we look forward to the celebration that we will have together next Sunday as we focus on the risen Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. We have much to be grateful for, much to be thankful for. I want us to focus on that this week. Before we get into our text, I, I want to read uh, Philippians chapter 4, verse 8. I, I trust after reading the same verse uh, six consecutive times that you've committed this to memory is my hope and my prayer. It says, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything that is worthy of praise, think about these things. Would you bow your heads and pray with me? Father, as we come into your presence, we are just most grateful for your ministry to hearts and souls. I thank you, Lord, for every single person that is here this morning. Father, we know that it's easy to get distracted in the busyness of a spring season and a special day coming up. But Lord, we, we pray, and, and our prayer together as a local church is that we would see the crucified Savior. And we would celebrate the risen Savior, Jesus, more than anything else. Father, as we open up your word before us and invite your Holy Spirit to speak, I would pray, Lord, that you would minister in a special way to hearts and souls that are here, that are aching and hurting and lost and wandering, wondering, Lord, what, what is next, what to do? Father, you, you love us. You know us. You've created us for purpose and impact and influence. You've created us to be in relationship with you. And God, I would pray that this morning you would draw us closer and closer and closer. It's more intimate walk. Renewing hearts and minds. Being 
fellowship and relationship with you. Forgive us, Lord, for the many areas that we fall short in. Father, we thank you for your grace and your mercy and your forgiveness and your love. Lord, we focus on who you are this morning. I would pray, Lord, that you would speak through me, use me however you see fit as a vessel, Lord, willing, fit for your use. Open up eyes and ears to hear and to see you. Please, Lord, we plead with you that you would be glorified in this time together this morning. We ask this in the strong and powerful and wonderful name of our Savior, the Messiah, Jesus. Amen and amen. This idea of, of thinking, thinking, like what do you think about all day, every day? The thousand thoughts. We've been encouraging you to, to pause and, and not, not just ponder in a, in a quick, fleeting, momentary thought, but to take time meditating and allow your minds to marinate on the truth, to contemplate the truth of what God's word has for us, what it is true. Not, not what you believe or what someone else believes or maybe, but what, what, what is God's truth? What is true? What is honorable? What is just? What is pure? It seems to be so little, this little tiny box we look at. What's pure in this world today? Think hard about those things. We stepped back last week. We got a, a big panoramic view of whatever is lovely and there's so much. God himself is lovely. His word, his kingdom, his church, people, creation, sunsets, chocolate fudge sundays. All those things are lovely. and we're, we're given permission to just think hard about that. Give praise to God for his goodness and grace. Today we conclude our series with what I call whatever is commendable. What is commendable? Think hard about what is commendable. Literally, if you were to look at the definition in the dictionary, it says something that is worthy of praise. It's the Greek word euphemos. Again, it, it appears just like the word lovely. It appears one time in all of the New Testament, and it's right here in Philippians chapter 4, verse 8. It really leads us, if you think of it, by way of a close proximity of meeting to the final words, the condition that exists, if there's anything excellent, if there's anything worthy of praise. So now we just pause. Crazy busyness of week, and everything just stops right now. Ponder. The NIV uses the word whatever is admirable. The New American Standard says whatever is of good repute. I think in all honesty, one of my favorites comes from the old uh, King James. It says whatever is of good report. What's a good report? When's the last time you've had a good report about something? For some reason, and I know that we live in a, in a college town and we have many educators, for some reason, I automatically go to this idea of a good report card. Remember those days? Some of you remember those days. I dread it. Dread it. Like, it was like a feeling like not... In my stomach, report cards come out. And it was just like it was just like the teacher, regardless of the year, regardless of 
the, the educator that God had blessed to stand. It was just like they were on a broken record the entire time. Tim needs to focus a little bit more. Tim likes to talk. He can be a distraction to others. I mean, just year after year. Tim needs to slow down. Tim needs to move to the front of the class. And then it was this one. No, Tim needs to move to the back of the class. He needs to focus more. I mean, it was the same thing. I dreaded it. What do you do? What do you do with a good report card? You take it and you get one of those Big Woods Bible Church magnets and you stick it on your fridge for everyone in the family to see your good report card. You, you make a copy of it and you send it to Grandma. I remember the one good report card that I got. We made copies. We made multiple copies of it. We sent one to Grandma and no joke, Grandma actually wrote back and she said this. I remember keeping the card. I know you're special, Timmy, because God doesn't make junk. And I kept that card. What do you do when you get a good report card? Let's go out and celebrate. Everybody gets ice cream tonight. We get a bumper sticker and we put it on the back of our car that says my son or my daughter is an, is an honor roll student at who really cares middle school. Because you realize... As a parent, you're the only one who really cares, right? This idea of good report, there's an immediate, immediate kind of connotation with, if it's a good report, it's like good news. And when you hear a good report, when you receive good news, what do you want to do with it? I just got to tell everyone. I'm going to put a sticker on the back of my car, and I'm going to intentionally drive slow everywhere. So that they see what my child has accomplished. This morning as we intentionally describe that which is highly regarded in scripture. That which is worthy of praise. We're going to pause this morning. And we're, going to, we're going to think hard about that which is well thought of. I believe now. I believe this moment. In this season. In this chapter that we are living Little Lock Haven, Pennsylvania, in 2019, more than any other time, we need to remember our thoughts. The thousand thoughts that are going through our mind every single day need to be elevated by Scripture. We need to actually fix our minds and to think hard on the highest and the very best themes that exist. In the word of God that lives and endures forever. Take a look around. Take a look around. Much of what we fill our minds with and, and we put our energies toward will not last. Will not last. The souls of mankind and the word of God lives and endures forever. So we think about what is commendable, what is admirable, what is of good reports, what is worthy of praise in his word. What is worthy of praise in the Bible this morning? And I, and I wrote that and I thought, there is so much. 
My challenge is how do I take the word of God, all of it that is worthy of praise, all of the Bible that is commendable, and how do we break it into to major themes that we can kind of, in a bite-sized way, kind of understand? We understand that there's one overarching theme throughout all of the word of God. It's what? Soli Deo Gloria. That, that God is glorified from start to finish. And so I thought, okay, how is God specifically revealed to us? How is God glorified through major themes that are in the Bible? This is a big book, 66 books compiled into one. 31,102 verses. How do we compile this into major themes? Good question. I'm glad that you asked that question this morning. I'm listening to a message by Jeff Lewis. Jeff Lewis is one of my heroes. He's the founding pastor of Big Woods Bible Church. And I remember listening to him preach at a missions conference in California. And he said, my text this morning is the Bible. He said, that's right, you heard it. From Genesis to Revelation, that's the text. And he said this, and I quote, Good luck taking notes. Hang on, put your seatbelts on, because we're going to look at the whole thing. One book, one author revealing one story, his story. You know, I don't think people understand that there's a single plot that runs and weaves its way all the way through Scripture. That Genesis chapter 1 begins what? In absolute perfection. Mankind. An intimate, close fellowship and relationship with his creator. And what? Revelation chapter 22 ends likewise. And in between all of what? Genesis 1 to Revelation 22. There's what? There's mankind. Fumbling and stumbling and bumbling our way all the way through it. And we see what repeated cycle after cycle after cycle. Man's sinfulness. God's judgment. And what? The reason that we get up every single morning. The reason that we have come here this morning. The hope. The glorious hope of redemption for you and I. Throughout all the pages of Scripture, every single day, as you don't miss breakfast, you don't miss lunch, you don't miss dinner, you cannot miss being fed and nourished through the strength and power of the Word of God. Every day you begin not with the heresy of, what does this book say to me? What does it say about me? No, the whole book is what it says about God. Don't put yourself in the middle of this book. You're not the star of the show. Neither am I. God is. One overarching theme. God receives all glory alone. And within that, I create it through what? By way of an outline this morning for you and us to kind of simply think three areas. The number one is this. Think about how a divine design reveals the glory of God and is most commendable. So I want you to think about that this morning. Think hard about this idea of a divine design. What, what exactly is that? I have always, always loved, even since a child, the careful description and the importance of the creation account in Genesis chapter 1. It is so evident that we are not here, nothing is here by accident. And there's always what? God's word is in such a way, and this is commendable for us to tell others about the good news. But the wording is what? It's, it's very intentional. 
in the beginning, God created. And there's this repeated, what, evening and morning where the first day, evening and morning where the second day, six times this one phrase, emphasizing what? A, a literal six-day, six 24-hour six, day period of creation. Four times, what? God steps back after the beauty of his creation that it is good. And after what? The final day, he looks at everything. And God himself says what? It is very good. There's intentional verbiage for you and I in the Genesis creation account. Remember that God created what? Plants and animals. It says according to their kind. Very specifically. And yet we live in a world today, and it's no shock or surprise, that has relegated historical, biblical, literal creation as what? You people, it's simply folklore. The creation account, you believe that God in, in, in six days spoke everything into existence from nothing. Yes, well, the world calls it today as folklore. Personally, how I ache to hear the bluntness and the blindness of the lie that says this, and I quote, science has proven evolution. I ache when you hear the lie that says evolution is fact, and since evolution is fact, Christians don't believe science. It means that Christians are not rational people. So let's just slide all of this stuff off to the side to like, you guys are just like weird from everyone else. I like the summary response from Answers in Genesis who simply says this, and I quote, now if evolution means change, of course any rational person believes change occurs. You can observe that. But the belief that order came from chaos... The belief that life came from non-life and that life began to randomly produce a new genetic information that over a span of millions and billions of years eventually produced humans, it doesn't sit well. In fact, molecules to man cannot be viewed as fact because it's not science. It's certainly not observable science. You can't test it, repeat it with the five senses, understand it. Instead, what are we reminded of today? God himself designed and created order in, in such structure that is seen and evidenced everywhere today. Take that one phrase, it's interesting to note in Genesis chapter 1, two of every kind, and then that same phrase is repeated in Genesis chapter 6 and Genesis chapter 8, when Moses was taking, excuse me, when Noah was taking two animals of every kind and he was placing them in the ark. There's miraculous divine design here. Dr. Georgia Purdom, a molecular geneticist from Ohio State University, writes this, and I quote, A plain reading of the text of Genesis infers that plants and animals were created to rep reproduce within the boundaries of their kind. Evidence to support this concept is clearly seen, or rather not seen, in our world today, as there are no reports of dats, which is a dog and a cat. There's no reports of howls, which is a horse and a cow. 
So a good rule of thumb is that if two things can breed together, they are of the same created kind. As an example, dogs can easily breed with one another, whether wolves, dingoes, coyotes, or domestic dogs. When dogs breed together, you get dogs, so there's a dog kind. It works the same with chickens. There's several breeds of chickens, but chickens breed with each other, and you still get chickens. So there's a chicken kind. The concept is fairly easy to understand. Yet for some reason, the world has to enter this and say, no, 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 that's really not fact today. Not only does God design and create everything that we see by way of his divine design, something that is commendable, something that is praiseworthy, something that we are to give as good report and good news. We see everything from plants and animals and people that, that, that we see easily, but God has designed everything with order and structure to that which we cannot even see. The invisible, from the tiniest microorganism to what to the largest thing in our solar system the sun it's hard to grasp things that are so small that you can't see to something that is so big but yet god has given to us minds at some level to be able to understand that how we'll give you an illustration take the actor danny devito who's four feet ten inches tall or one and a half meters high. That means that he is 10 billion times bigger than an atom, which is the smallest component of an element. Think about that. It's fascinating to think that Danny DeVito is one billion times smaller than the diameter of the sun. How will we ever figure that out? Unless God created little Danny DeVito. God not only created it, but he continually reveals by way of his amazing design how he sustains life. Creator, sustainer. Creator, sustainer. The life in order. We know that if the earth were tilted just one degree on its axis closer to the sun, many would burn. What one degree... Further, many would freeze to death. Everything, everything, from the rotations of the earth on its axis to the rotations around the sun, to the tides and seasons and climates, to ecology and geology and biology and sociology, it has all been carefully designed. A God-ordained and sustained universe that is what? It's of good reports. It's commendable. Think about that. And tell others of that. Read to them and remind them the truth of Colossians in chapter 1 verse 16. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth. Visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. There's the star of the story all the way through. Think hard about that which is commendable when you think of the idea of a divine design. Secondly, think about how a purposeful plan reveals the glory of God and is commendable. A purposeful plan all the way through. Begin in the beginning, ever since Adam and Eve, what, ate the fruits. 
and fell into sin. We refer to that as the fall, Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. Plunging all of mankind into suffering, the curse of sin and death, to which you and I all still feel and reel from the effects of every single day. Since that moment, God had a plan. And it is a very, very good one. Chaos continues when Cain actually murders his brother Abel, and yet God chose a third son. His name was Seth, the chosen one, to preserve the line. On to Noah, that God, what? Again, preserved the line through his son Shem. Through Abraham, with God choosing the entire family. On through his son Isaac and his grandson Jacob to the 12 tribes of Israel, which become an entire nation to which the Messiah was going to be born. To Moses, the story is what the plan woven all the way through, who obediently follows carefully and meticulously the, the instructions of the Passover that leads an entire nation out of what bondage and slavery. To Joshua, to all of the judges, to the kings, David and Solomon, preserving the lineage and through this carefully and purposefully designed plan all the way down through what? A young couple, Joseph and Mary, a young woman, a virgin to give birth in a miracle to the one who would fulfill the culmination of that plan by suffering and dying on the cross and raising again from the tomb. Listen very carefully and meditate and ponder on, on how God's purposeful plan is revealed through Scripture. Galatians in chapter 3, it says this in verse 8. And the Scripture, this is the word of God, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, in you shall all the nations be blessed. God reveals his plan all the way back. He's going to use you, Abraham. Romans chapter 5, verses 12 and onward. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, we know through Adam, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace, and that one man, Jesus Christ, abound it for many. 1 Corinthians in chapter 15, we celebrate this, this chapter on Easter Sunday. It says in verses 20 through 22, but in fact Christ has been raised from the dead. The first fruits of all those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. Do you see this? Throughout all of history, God has carefully woven a plan for you and me. Through every single day, and it's no shock or surprise, I hear stories of it every single week. To suffer what? Feel the effects of our own sinfulness and the world's brokenness around us. And yet God has a plan, and it is a good one. And it's a plan that you can trust. It's a plan that you 
need to trust. Trust Him. Many of you who are journeying through life and you're realizing, this is not really what I signed up for. You see, I, I didn't think it would go like this. And, and I thought it was going to be a little bit easier. And, and, and I read that it was going to be what? It was going to be all be about, and, and, and it's not. But God has good news for us that he is a holy God. And we see that through his word. The very best that we can do still falls short. And man, in our sinful nature, can be brought into relationship with a holy God by putting our faith and our full trust in the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ that allows us to be in relationship, that makes our life worthwhile, that makes sense, that takes that which is blurry in front of us, allows it to come into clear focus, sharp focus. I knew a man whose name was Roly West. My pastor up in New England, he was an engineer. And he designed and he built bridges throughout all of New England. And a bridge must be designed in such a way as to sustain the weight, what, of, of passing trains and trucks and cars. Tons and tons and tons of steel. And so a bridge has to be designed in such a way that, that it supports that weight. I remember listening to Rowley's testimony. They talked about the fact that as he shared, he struggled with this idea of how do I have faith in Jesus, that which is not seen? How do I really trust Jesus to forgive my sins? I can't see him, and I don't see really, really what the reality of it. You have to trust in that which is unseen. I remember listening very clearly to how he could not deny the existence of someone that he was talking to in front of him who had given his life to the Lord Jesus Christ, who had put his faith in the finished work. And he knew that man's life was totally, totally different than what it used to be. He remembers at that moment, by seeing the evidence of salvation, the evidence of a changed life, the proof of a transformed life, that which once was is gone, to that which was sitting before him is new, a new creature. Well, he said it was at that, at that moment, at that moment, the proof of that man's changed life that convinced me. And when he put his faith in the finished work of Christ, I remember that you couldn't stop him from telling anyone and everyone about this Jesus that forgives sins and changes lives. God's design, God's plan no doubt no doubt we live in a world where the bible is mocked and ridiculed if you go back and you take the accuracy just just look at history and some of the archaeological digs and findings that repeatedly offer historical proof of tiny little details of nations and kings rulers and wars and geography and ancestry and arts and architecture so much actually is proven through the Bible. If people opened their eyes, if, if they were giving good reports, they were commending that which needs to be commended. I was reading just this week in Paul Little's book. It's called Know Why You Believe It. Great book, and I commend it to you. He says this, in 1960, the famed Israeli scholar, his name was Yigdal Yadin, 
while, while excavating the city of Megiddo, had identified the layer of Solomon's time by comparing pottery types. He went to Scripture knowing that 1 Kings chapter 9, verse 15, grouped together the three cities of Megiddo, Hazor, and Gezer as being built by Solomon. And he had a sudden inspiration. He recalled that the Megiddo gate from Solomon's time had three chambers on each side. Could the other two cities be the same? And he tells this exciting story as he journals of the dig at Hazor. Before proceeding further with the excavation of Hazar, we made tentative markings on the ground following our estimate of the plan of the gate on the base of the Megiddo gate. And when we told the laborers to go ahead and continue removing the debris, when they had finished, they looked at us with astonishment as if we were magicians or fortune tellers. For there before us, was the exact gate whose outline we had marked a replica of the Megiddo gates. According to scripture, this proved not only that both gates had been built by Solomon, but that both had followed a single master plan. Think hard about the accuracy of scripture. That you can go to obscure Old Testament texts. I mean, archaeological digs, they still match and mesh perfectly because God has a what a divine design and a purposeful plan and it's one that you and I can trust thirdly and finally as we think about how God is glorified through his word and what we can think hard about think about how a redemptive reward reveals the glory of God and is commendable how a redemptive reward reveals the glory of God and is commendable you can ask any person, literally, you can ask any person from any country, any continent, any culture, any context, ask any person anywhere, look around, and anyone will tell you something's broken here. Something is not right here. Anywhere. From what the horrid and cruel acts that we hear and read and see in the news before us. To, to the what seems like never-ending feeling of emptiness in people's souls. And lostness. Talk to people of loneliness. Despair is not too strong of a word. If you talk to people, even in our own community, and there's... There's no purpose. There's no reason for their existence. Many, many people struggle with the feeling of what apologist Vince Vitale calls a gap that exists between who we feel we are and who we feel we should be or intended to be. That's why people who are born one way say, yeah, that's not really the way I feel. I feel like I should be this. All over the place. Do you realize that the word of God, this commendable book, actually what? Affirms that gap. We know in Romans chapter 8, it says in verse 22, we know that the whole creation has been groaning 
together in the pains of childbirth until now. Which means what? Talk to any person anywhere. And they realize that they are looking for and they're longing for restoration. And people are what? They're just hoping. If I just have one thing, just one prayer, just hope of world peace. How many times have we heard that? And they hope for peace. Or they, they hope for what? Personal prosperity. If I just had a little bit more, like if I worked a little bit longer and earned a little bit more, then I would be happy. Then I would know my purpose. They look for prosperity and prominence. Apart from God, many people try to what? Create their own identities within themselves. And yet, do you realize that God actually desires for every single one of us to have a new identity? A new identity in Him. I love how Romans chapter 9 says this in verses 25 and 26. Those who were not my people, those people that are out there and they're just looking and grabbing for something and living with a sense of constant emptiness. Romans chapter 9, those who were not my people, I will call my people. And her who was not my beloved, I will call beloved. And in the very place where it was said to them, you are not my people, there they will be called sons of the living God. Like, really? Yeah, but, but the things that I've done in my life, God desires for you, what? To be drawn to him and adopted into his own family. Yeah, but you don't, yeah, you don't know my story. Like, it, it's really ugly back there. And there's a lot of gunk, and there's a lot of junk. No, no, God desires. He looks out, and he longs for you and I to be in relationship with him. God desires for you to be part of his very own family. Think of that word for a moment. There's a lot of movement in our community and, and there's this group of people we hang with and, and they're fun and we can laugh with them. And then in a, an entire different category is what? Here's our family. They're, they're out there, they're, they're fun, they're neat, okay? But this right here, this is our family. That's the relationship that God says, I want you to be part of my own family. Yeah, but, but how, do we, how do we trust the God? We, we, don't, we, don't, we don't see him. Sure, we see evidence. We trust God because he allowed his own son, Jesus, to feel the gap. You understand that? That Jesus Christ, what? Knowing that as we celebrate Palm Sunday today, he rode into Jerusalem. People are like, Hosanna to the king. Literally within days, they're shouting, crucify him, kill him. Jesus Christ felt the gap, gap a perfectly holy one living in a broken world by offering himself allowed us to be in healing allowed us to have purpose in our life allowed us to be in relationship with God 
the sacrificial death, the price that was paid for your sin and for my sin. Jesus suffered. So we could be called his son. Jesus suffered so we could be called his own daughter. Thankfully, we don't have to be left wandering. I love the way it's, it's often referred to as the Romans road. The, the Romans road continues on here. And it says in Romans chapter 10, Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. My, my heart, Paul writes to the church of Rome, my heart's desire, the longing is that they would be saved. In Romans chapter 10 verse 1, later on it says in verse 13, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. What does that mean? We are given a reward. I love rewards. What is it? Romans chapter 6, verse 23. The gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. People are exercising every day. And they're eating blueberries and kale every day. And you're going to move the needle, maybe, if a truck doesn't hit you, from 78.7, maybe you'll make it to 78.8 years on average. Maybe. And yet we hear and see through the pages of Scripture that God has for us an incredible plan that he is glorified and he's most glorified by revealing to you and I a divine design, a purposeful plan, and a redemptive reward when he puts your faith in the full and finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ accomplished on the cross and in the tomb. May you ponder and think hard. you are here this morning and you are not in relationship with Jesus, it sounds like intriguing or interesting. Please do not race out. I invite you to come and talk to me. There'll be people up in the front. If you want to come at the end of the service and talk or ask or pray any question that you have, if I don't know the answer, I'll look for it and we'll find it for you. God's word says that today is the day of salvation. May that be the case with your searching and wandering and wondering today. Father, we love you. We thank you for your plan in our lives. We thank you, Lord, for who you are. And ultimately, through all of this, you alone receive all the glory. God, help us throughout the course of this week to think hard about what you've given to us in your word. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen.